Hi there! This is the PowerPoint Tribe, where our vibe is faith and our food is the Word. Prepare to be strengthened and encouraged through the teachings of God's Word and the ministry of the Spirit. Once again, as we have our seats in God's presence, hallelujah! Wow! That was so powerful and uh, fireful. Amen. Can we celebrate the gift of the Beckoners as well as Director Eniola? Thank you so much. God bless your heart. It takes a lot to deliver at that level of grace. It takes a lot. Amen. Amen. Wow. This is the 24th installment of the WOW series. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Amen. This can only be God. Again, I say these things to just let us understand where all of this is coming from. This is not an attempt to beat a record. This is not an attempt to sound very, very spiritually sound. That, oh, I can stretch any series. <laughs> no, there's no record we're trying to beat here. We're just trying to follow God. And for as long as he elongates this strand of revelation, we keep following him. All right, but it's just to acknowledge the grace of God when it comes to scripture, when it comes to his word. He can elongate, he can elasticate, he can stretch, he can do whatever he wants with just a strand of revelation. If you will persist in meditation, there's no end to how far God can take you. There's no end to how far he can take you. So we, we celebrate Jesus, we celebrate the Holy Spirit, we celebrate the Father for such deluge of revelation knowledge over this house. It's such an anointing. It's a strong anointing. Literally throughout this entire year, we've only had two series. Two series. One for Bible studies, one for Sunday services. And that's all we've been having for the past six to seven months. And God has been so faithful and benevolent with his, with his word. Today, by God's grace, we'll be taking another stream or tributary, like you, would, you may want to call it, um, under the category of wisdom and just begin a tabernacle around that because I believe it's a now word for every one of us. It's a now word for every one of us. God would have us understand this concept. You know, for the longest time, this concept has been relegated to be a secular concept, a secular, you know, domain. And it's the concept of leadership. It's the concept of leadership. So when we hear leadership, we think of motivational speakers, we, we think of people who teach organizations, who talk about global leadership and governmental leadership and all that. And as much as that's consistent with those domains, there is a source code for leadership that is not found in the secular world. And it's only found in God's word. Leadership is a very spiritual thing. And it's the ploy of the devil to, you know, allow the church play second fiddle to the thought leadership in that domain. You understand what I just said? It's the ploy of the devil to allow or to relegate the church to play second fiddle in that particular domain. So when you see a man of God teaching on leadership, you assume he has backslidden. You, you think he's no longer as spiritual. You think, oh, well, this guy has left the deep things of the word of God. He's now dealing with success, you know, motivational stuff. No, leadership is as spiritual as it gets. And you get to understand that from, from the core of the teaching today by the grace of God. All right, leadership is the highest platform for the display of wisdom and folly. All right, I'll say that again. Leadership is the highest platform for the display of wisdom 
and fully. All right? So leadership provides scale and volume to both wisdom and foolishness. Did you get that? Leadership provides scale and volume <laughs> to wisdom and to foolishness. Provides scale and volume to it. So when a man is foolish, he's foolish all by himself. But when a leader is foolish, his foolishness now rubs off on his constituency. Now, everyone who has called him a leader suffers from the consequences of his decisions because he's called a leader. You can no longer monopolize consequences as a leader. Do you hear what I just said? You cannot monopolize. You can't say, it's my life. Eh? If you are a leader, you can no longer say that. Except you are the only one that will suffer for the consequences of your actions, that you can say that it's your life. But the moment you become a leader, you are like a stalk that several bunches of banana is stuck to. Whatever happens to you, happens to everything connected and everyone connected to you. And so you can no longer monopolize cons consequences and outcomes as a leader. No, you can't. Because leadership provides scale and volume for wisdom or foolishness. Woe unto the city whose king is a child. Not woe unto his family members alone. The city that he eyes constituents, the subjects under his cacophony or under his cabinet, they now fall to become victims of his own foolishness. And blessed is the city whose king is actually a wise man. Whose cities, whose king is actually a wise man. Blessed is that city. The Bible says when the wicked reign and they rule, the people groan. They groan. Everybody will just be irritated and irritable. They call it ikora in Yoruba language. You are just irritated. Any small thing. Can I have what? Oh, which water? Which water? Which water again? And then you will... You see, when you are irritable like that, you link everything to the real cause of the problem. You will find a connection between politics and that water, that moment. That's how you're always doing. That's how you just bring the president into the conversation. Because you're irritable, because you are, you, are, you are groaning. Amen. You can no longer monopolize consequences and outcomes if you are a leader. So there's nothing casual and secular about leadership. Adam and Christ, what do they represent to us? One thing that happened to them happened to mankind. What happened to Christ happened to everyone that believes on him. That's the whole idea of leadership. It provides scale and volume for the agenda of God upon the face of the earth. If God does not find a leader, he cannot do anything. He can't. He can't. He has to look for somebody that has the profile of the leader before he can start anything with him. Like I taught before, one of the reasons why he did not start a work with Abel and he did not continue. And he couldn't start a work with Noah. And he couldn't start a work with Enoch. With, with all those patriarchs that came before Abraham. But it was because none of them had a transferable skill. They couldn't transfer what they had. What Abel had died with Abel. What Enoch had died with him. What Noah had died with him. He even cursed his children. Abraham was the only one that God told and said, If I teach this man my ways, he will transfer it to his children. And for the first time, God became the God of three people. Because it started with a man that could transfer. Leadership. There's nothing casual or secular about it. And you'd understand this through scripture. Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah.
Now, a lot of us prioritize power over wisdom in leadership because the most evident and obvious thing in leadership is power, the executive force of power. Do this, instruct. You know, you instruct people, you command. And so that's the most obvious thing and the most, you know, visible thing about leadership. And so that is the part that a lot of people desire. When you see someone commanding and giving instructions and sitting on his great throne and he's doing all of those things, you desire what he has. What you're desiring is power. And if that's what you are desiring, you can scheme to sit on that throne. But you are not realizing that what sustains reign, what sustains rulership, what sustains kingship is not power, it's wisdom. Three different kings across three different dispensations will not be judged on the strength of the power that they wielded while in office. They won't be judged on the strength of that. Because three presidents, three kings will have the exact same executive power. But the outcomes of all their presidencies and all their kingships and tenures will be totally different based on the level of wisdom they all interacted with. So the differentiator in leadership is not power. The differentiator is wisdom. It is wisdom. And that was why when Solomon got to the highest level of authority and and status as a king, that was when he realized his most prevalent need for wisdom. He realized that I can't go further except by the help of God through the wisdom of God. If I do not seek wisdom, I'm finished as a king. He realized that because the decisions I'll begin to make at this level, they will not only affect me or affect my family, they will affect literally the entire nation of Israel. I can't be loose or casual about how I process my decisions. No! And why do we exalt the offices that rank highest? Why do we exalt them? Why do we give them the highest level of of remunerations? It's not because they're doing the grunt work. You reward them for the weight and the burden of decision making. That's why you give the CEO what you give him. That's why you give the president what you give him. It's not because he's the, he's the guy that will carry the guns and go to fight the wars. It's not because he's the one that is building the house. It's not because he's the one that is carrying whatever it is on his head. He may not necessarily be doing as much physical exertion as the man who is doing that much work. But you reward the burden that he bears for deciding the fate of a people beyond himself. That is what you reward. Because not many people can bear that burden. Just by entering that office, you begin to grow lean. You have not worked. You hear about this every time, how the president will get into offices and then in six months, the gray head they did not find for the last 50 years. In six months, they are gray all over. They are well taken care of. They have cooks. They have chefs. They have everything done for them. But they are still growing lean. How? The burden of decision making. Go and try it. Indeed, uneasy really lies the head that wears the crown. It's a weighty job, leadership. Don't take it for granted. And God is very particular about it. So usually we, we tend to exalt the power dimension of leadership over its wisdom component. And you see, when people are obsessed with power, they scheme, they politic, they lobby to get power. But what they should seek is wisdom. Because when you see people who postpone their impact until they occupy a position, they are power grabbers. Anyone who is wise understands that wisdom can be channeled at any level of service. Did you hear what I just said? If you're a power drunk person, you always postpone your impact until you occupy a position. Don't worry. Ah, Don't worry. I will soon become. Don't worry. I will soon become. I will make this happen. I will make that happen. No. If you're a wise person, you can be wise at any level of service. 
Bible says David behaved himself wisely. Whereas some people sitting on the throne who lacked wisdom, they were using the executive force of power to pursue a little teenage boy. And you'll get to understand the difference between the, the Saul's framework of leadership and the Davidic framework. This thing is so important and it is littered in scripture. How God pays extreme attention to leadership. So wisdom is actually what sustains your reign. It's wisdom. It is wisdom that sustains the influence of your government. It is wisdom. If you're a leader and you lack wisdom, it becomes evident quickly. The first decision that Solomon had to make, it was a loud statement of how wise he was. The moment he made that decision, the Bible says his fame spread abroad. And everybody knew that indeed a wise king has, has stepped on the throne. A wise king. Because of the quality of his decisions. As a leader, you're no longer the only person to suffer the consequences of your decision. And that's the sobering thing about leadership. The fact that you're not, you don't have the monopoly of consequences and outcomes anymore. In the same vein as a leader, you can't be the only person to enjoy the benefits of the decisions that you have made. That's the power of leadership, that if I can grab a man, if I can wield Moses, I can get Israel out of Egypt just by holding Moses alone. I don't have to touch everybody else. Just hold Moses. If I can deal with Christ, the entire kingdom of heaven and earth is gotten in him. If I can make Adam fall, the mankind has fallen in him. It's leadership. And the devil understands this tactic. He understands the strategy. So he strikes the shepherd. He doesn't want to strike everybody. He strikes the shepherd. The moment he strikes the shepherd, everybody scatters. He achieves his objective. Everybody is scattered. So he goes for leadership. Yet we, the church, we say leadership is a secular subject. Ah, no. He strikes the shepherd. He understands. So when, when, when we have been encouraged to pray for our pastors, there is a reason. The devil understands the implication of the fall of your pastor over your life. So instead of trying to attack everybody and running in several directions, he looks for the shepherd. He strikes him down. And the entire bunch of people scatter. Leadership is extremely spiritual. Amen. Hallelujah. So the differentiator in leadership is not power. It's not authority. The differentiator in leadership is wisdom. When you read through the book of Kings and Chronicles, you begin to see the collection of events that all the kings of Israel did, especially once they assumed into the office. You see, all of them had the same executive power. They were all kings of Israel, some of Judah, some of Israel. But the outcomes and the narrative consistent with each of the kings was consistent with how much wisdom they had or they lacked. And so the, the posture of scripture for every leader is not dependent on how the person wielded power. It is how much wisdom influenced that executive force. Amen. And so you need to understand that. So, and when it comes to that wisdom, you can seek and apply it at any level of leadership. So you don't have to attain a certain position of power to begin to apply wisdom and express that wisdom of God upon your life. As a matter of fact, if you're faithful with the wisdom of God at any level, you will continue to rise until you get to the very top. And I will show you the, the architecture of how God raises men into leadership positions. There are other ways to do it outside of God. But if you will do it God's way, this is how he does it. This is how he does it. Praise the name of the Lord. So outcomes ultimately justify decisions. All right. Wisdom is justified by its children. Luke chapter 7 verse 35. It says wisdom is justified by children. That means only outcomes can determine the level of wisdom that was prosecuted in the decision making. 
So if you judge a person too early, you may be naive or misguided. You wait for the outcomes of his decisions before you determine whether it was a wise decision or not. Only the children of wisdom can justify that it was really wisdom. It is not how nice sounding the communication is. And that's why sometimes charisma can dull our senses. It can make you desensitized to the lack of wisdom that a man does not have. Or the lack of wisdom inherent in a man. When the man speaks so well and he speaks so, you know, glowingly and he has all the articulation and all the fluency and you are just carried away because he's sounding nice. It may be high sounding foolishness in HD. Wait till the outcome of the decisions he's making. Until that which he's saying has delivered on the mandate it promised. You cannot tell that a man is wise because wisdom is only justified by its children. Very important things to note. So until wisdom has given birth, passing a judgment on it may be misguided or naive. Wisdom is not defined by how nicely it's communicated, but how well it delivers on its mandate. I've said a number of all these things. If you're drunk with power, you will scheme to get to that position. And sadly, you will only be a positional leader that lacks the influence beyond that position. Your power and influence will ultimately also be short-lived. If there's anything in Africa that suffers, it is the unbridled, or if anything makes Africa suffer beyond measure, it is the unbridled appetite for power without the regard for what sustains the prosperity of a reign. When people begin to jostle for power without getting the requisite wisdom that sustains that reign, then you find what we have in the African landscape, where people are so obsessed with power because all they know to be influence is power. Because they lack understanding of leadership. Leadership is not just about grabbing power. It's about making impact, influencing people at whatever level of service that you find yourself. All right? So anyone drunk with power will always seek preeminence. I'm just trying to introduce the concept that I'm sharing here today. We'll soon get to some some other interesting detail in 1 Samuel especially. There's a guy in 3 John verse 9. His name is Diotrephus. All right. Bible said this man liked to have preeminence. Have you met people like that? They like to have, you know, preeminence is something that should be reserved only for the Holy Ghost. But when Bible talks about this man that he likes to have preeminence. The moment they notice someone who is perhaps just as gifted as they are, or maybe more, they resist that person. Because now they know that the people under their you know, constituency may begin to find those people more appealing to listen to and obey and submit to. And so they resist anyone that seems to have a similar level of gifting above them. <laughs> Praise the name of the Lord. Diotrephus, 3 John 9. They must be the loudest in a room. And the one whose opinion must prevail. It's a lack of understanding of leadership. That's not what leadership is about. That you must be the loudest person in the room. You must be the one whose opinion must prevail. Whatever you say is law. You know, you, you, you have punitive measures for everyone who goes against what you say. You're not a leader. No, you're not. Anyone obsessed with power would always postpone their opportunity for impact until they get into position. Wise people know that wisdom can be channeled at any level of service. Look at Daniel, Joseph, Nehemiah, Ezra, Esther, all of these people, patriarchs of the faith. Many of them were not the number one men in their constituencies, but they influenced so greatly the outcomes and the decisions of those terrains because they were wise people. Praise the name of the Lord. So, 
Wisdom can be sourced and channeled at any level of service. A wise person finds expression at whatever level of service or office. Nothing defines the quality of leadership better than wisdom. Now, we're going to be using two frameworks or archetypes in scripture to explain how not to be a leader and then how to be a leader. And what you will see that is deficient in one is wisdom. What you will see that is prevalent and present in the other is wisdom. And these two people are King Saul and King David. Praise the name of the Lord. So we're going to be doing some reading, but I may be tempted to do some narration instead because of how lengthy the narratives are. Please follow me. All right? So, <laughs> oh dear Lord. So, see, God did not design leadership for anyone that is not connected to him. If you're not connected to God, you will weaponize your power against people. Now, God never designed that Israel will be governed by a king that was not already a priest. Did you hear what I just said? God can make do with a nation that is governed by only a priest who is serving as a judge temporarily. Than by a king who was never a priest. Did you hear what I just said? A nation governed by a priest that was never a king but only serving temporarily as a judge will do better, far better than a king who has the executive force but lacks the priesthood that sustains kingship. And this is why God will insist on your priesthood before he puts the crown on your head as a king. The protocol of leadership in the kingdom of God is first priesthood, then the prophetic, then kingship. Amen. What he does is that he puts the crown on the priest. He does not try to make the king into a priest. So he puts the royalty on the priesthood. You are a royal priesthood. The baseline is priesthood, not royalty. What we look for is royalty because that's the glitz, that's the glamour, that's the international relations, that's the excellence, that's the aesthetics, that's the, the glow, that's the enamel, that's what is obvious. But he's saying that what he prioritizes above kingship is priesthood. And so before he could finish cooking his priest, who will eventually become the king, they asked for a king early. So they hustled God for a king. They said, we need a king. We need a king. We need a king. Then God told Samuel, because they have lobbied and hustled and cried and begged, I have no choice than to give them the kind of king they have looked for and they have begged for. And here is the archetype of the tendencies of the king. Now, God did not make Saul into this thing. It is the natural destiny of anyone that skips priesthood to assume office as a king. If you skip the priesthood classes, it will be evident in your kingship that you were never a priest. Look at the tendencies of the man who becomes a king without going through the class of priesthood. Because it is in priesthood you learn to minister unto the Lord. The priest learns to minister unto the Lord. And the consequences of a disalignment are grave in priesthood. And in priesthood, you are one man serving the Lord. In kingship, you are one man serving the whole people. So the consequences of a disalignment are graver. As a priest, a mistake can send you to heaven. Let me not say to hell. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? So you get into the holiest of all and you don't do the proper protocol or you, you sprinkle the menorah in a funny way. The cherubims will just slap you to heaven because you, you lack the protocol of priesthood. So it's in priesthood you learn exactitude in obedience. It's in priesthood you learn submission. It's in priesthood because you understand the grave consequences of a disalignment to the instructions that God gives in priesthood. So if God cooks you well in priesthood, you can never fall his hand as a king. You understand the protocols of priesthood. You understand it. But a king who just assumed a king but was never cooked as a priest. Look at what he looks like. And Samuel told all the words of the Lord unto the people that, that asked of him a king. And he said, this will be the manner of king that shall reign over you. If you ask God for a leader that was never a priest, this is what you will get. He says, he will take your sons and he will appoint them for himself, for his chariots and to be his horsemen. And some of them, and some shall run before his chariots and he will appoint him captains over thousands and captains over fifties and to reap his harvest and to make his instrument of war and instrument of his chariot and start counting the his please and he count the his count the his the his is <laughs> do you understand what i'm saying and he will take your daughters to be confectionaries and to be cooks and to be bakers and he will make and take your fields and he will take your vineyards and your olive yards even the best of them and give them to his servants and he will take the tents of your seeds and of your vineyards and give to his officers and to his servants oh dear god the problems that we're having in this country and in this great continent, this is the problem. When you enter into a political office and you begin to weaponize your access to national properties and you begin to dole them out as birthday gifts to your own cronies. This is what happens. You, you, see, you see oil wells as your personal property that you can give a person on his birthday. Something that is for the prosperity of a whole nation. You, you, you personalize it. He will take the tent of your seed. He is now the high priest. Collecting your tithe. And off your vineyards. And give to his officers. He will basically all the land. That they are supposed to hold in state. In goodwill. On behalf of the people. They weaponize that access. And he will take your men servants. And your maid servants. And your goodliest men. The best of your people will serve them your goodliest young man, and your asses, and put them to what? His work. He will take the tenth of your sheep, and ye shall be his servants. Any leader that assumes a position of leadership without being a priest, this is his ultimate destiny. Whether it's in a corporate environment, in a secular space, in the church, in the government, if you become a leader, which is a kingly position, you, without ever being a priest, this is your ultimate destiny. You will weaponize that access for your own personal aggrandizement. You will become the richest man ever live it. They, they, they will never be able to ask you to declare your asset. They won't be able to ask you. Even you cannot initiate the process. Because you are a king that never was a priest. Let me tell you the nature of a man that is a priest. He may never become a king. Let me show you. Hey. Can you pray in tongues? 
This is a prophetic teaching. You thought leadership is a casual subject. Pray in tongues. Pray in tongues. Kalibanta gigata. Rebetomala tembokain. Keshinata. First Samuel 12. First Samuel 12. Look at the man that served as a priest for 90 years. Kamashat. He was a priest over Israel and judged Israel all the days of his life for over 90 years before he died. He was a priest from a boy. He had been hearing from God from like four or five and judging Israel since then. Look at what he says. This is Samuel, whose words never fell to the ground. He was never king. All his life, he was a priest and a prophet. Look at who he became. And now behold, the king walked. Look at verse, from verse 1. And Samuel said unto all Israel, Behold, I have hearkened unto your voice in all that ye said unto me, and have made you a king over you. And now, behold, the king walketh before you, and I am old and gray-headed, and behold, my sons are with you, and I have walked before you from my childhood unto this day. Behold, here I am. This is how a leader should be talking. This is how a king normally should be talking. But only a priest can talk like this. So if you ever become a king and you were never a priest, you can never talk like this. It's only a king that satisfied the, the, the requirements of priesthood that can never talk like this. He said, behold, here I am. Witness against me for 90 years. Are you kidding me? Witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? He said, witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ass have I taken? Remember what that man will do. He will carry your asses. He will carry your goodliest men. He will carry your, your women, your best cooks, every chefs, anything that is good, your lands, your tithe, everything. He will use them to his work. This is a priest talking. He said, whose asses have I taken? Whom have I defrauded? Who have I, who have I collected a bribe from? Whom have I oppressed? From whose hand have I received any bribe to blind my judgment and my eyes therewith? And I will restore it to you. For 90 years, nobody could stand. Hey! This is the standard of leadership. And they said, Thou hast not defrauded us, nor oppressed us, neither hast thou taken aught of any man's hand. For 90 years. How many leaders can stand and make that claim today? This is what you get when you first satisfy the requirement of priesthood before you assail to become a leader. And this is the reason why God pent your leadership. Because if he makes you a leader too soon and you have not satisfied the condition of priesthood, you will disgrace yourself and the kingdom that put you there. You disgrace them. You will embarrass your life. Like Saul did eventually. Saul was not acting out a script that God wrote. He acted out the inadvertent reality of a man that is disconnected from priesthood. If you are not first a priest before you become a king, you will be a shameful king. Your leadership will be the worst in all the realm. You will use company resources. You will use national resources to... To pursue personal gains. That's what you will do. That's what you will do. Kai. This is at the end of his life. At the end of his tenures. <laughs> tenures. 90 years. Samuel did not defraud a man. He 
because he was a priest. He understood the consequences of a disalignment in priesthood. Because the consequences are immediate, they are rapid, they are instant. You don't try it. So God will first make you a priest. And when he makes you a priest, you become prophetic. Then you can become a king. You know what happened to Saul? Saul was first the king. Then he became an atmospheric prophet. And he never became a priest. Did you hear what I just said? You know what I mean by atmospheric prophet? He entered into the midst of the prophet. And he started, ah, I mean, I mean, love me. <laughs> As he entered like this and he was just, ah, he started prophesying. They looked at Saul. Is Saul now also a prophet? Not long after that, he was bewitched. Not long after that, he was demonized, possessed. <laughs> Who wants to possess a priest? A priest. All the things that Saul was penalized for, David did it with grace. He did it with grace. God, even, he, God blessed him on top of it. Everything Saul could not attempt because he was never a priest. He couldn't offer sacrifices. He couldn't do any of those things. Saul, I mean David, he ate of the shoe bread. He strayed inside and outside priesthood like as if he lived in priesthood. He was a priest that was coming outside to do kingly duties and he would go back to his natural habitat, priesthood. But Saul was never a priest. And the prophetic, he was situational. When he has enough prophets around, he will prophesy. Wow. And that's what happens when you skip classes in priesthood. Everybody that ever calls you their king becomes a victim. Everybody. Hi. And it's, it's also important, even in relationships as well. If you ask God for a boyfriend too soon, let's say God is even cooking the boyfriend in priesthood. You are not asking for him too early. He will have six packs. He will have money. Because guess what? The moment you see Saul, he looks like every bit of a king. Oh, dear Lord. Shoulders and above. And Bible says he, nobody was goodlier than him. That means he was not just tall for nothing. There's a, there's a name that is coming to my head. He's in Yoruba. When he said Aguntashon. That long, long, he was, that was not the kind of Saul. Saul was not just long for nothing. Saul was tall and he was very handsome. You look at the king and you're like, that's my king, you know? The ladies, ah, that's my king. You see him on the road as you're going to fetch water, you take a selfie, that's my king. And God looked as if a foolish, foolish king. He looked every bit like what a king should look like. He had all the paraphernalia. And God gave them exactly what they were looking for. So they do not come back and be haggling him again for king. So he gave them exactly what they were looking for. But they didn't check the engine of the car. They didn't check. They saw the vehicle. Ash, cha-cha, reboot the nylon. They thought that was the deal. This guy looks every bit like a king. Two years into kingship, he wanted to kill his son. The kind of foolishness that Saul exhibited. Ah, it's, it's strange. It's a strange. I, even a normal person that is not a Christian should not be thinking the way Saul was thinking. The level of depravity that he descended into. And that's what happens when you go shop for a husband that you didn't check for his priesthood. You will get a king that is like Saul. Every bit like the kind of guy you want to show off at a party. 
It is in the house you realize that, hey, amen. This one is amen, amen. This one. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. Wow. Look at that. And Samuel had prophesied it. Before Saul ever became king, he said, this is the kind of king you will have. Because anyone that skips priesthood before entering kingship, this is who they will ultimately become. And it's the same for you as well. If you don't satisfy the conditions of priesthood, your kingship will be a shame. This is why God waits on your head. You, will, you must satisfy the conditions. He will make your feet like hinds feet before he will set you upon your high places. If he sets you up there too early, you will wobble, you will fall. And you will crash everybody under your, your leadership. There's nothing casual or secular about leadership. Everybody that should ever be a leader should come under the school of priesthood first. So you want to be a leader, you want to be a king, come first to the school of priesthood. Then you graduate into the prophetic. Then you can become a king. And those were the classes that saw David he satisfied all those conditions. Even at that, you must continue to be a priest. You can be an occasional king, but you can never be an occasional priest. Because occasional priest was what landed David, all right, with Bathsheba. For those seasons, he was not connecting anymore with God. And he made such deadly errors, foolish error. You can't be on sabbatical on priesthood. As far as kingship go and the privileges of your office go, you, you can be doing that once in a while. But as far as priesthood go, no, you, you can't try it. Every day you must be a priest. You must raise incense unto the Lord. Fire must never be out of your altar. Praying in tongues, studying your Bible, meditating. These are the things that makes you a priest. Executing the, the powers in your office. That's kingly. And that is once in a while. And if you fail as a priest, you'll be a shame as a king. So leadership is a concept that is so broad that we can't afford to put it under the subcategory of secular in our minds. That leadership is a secular subject. No, it's not. What's the mission of this house again? Building. To build excellent disciples through the balanced teaching of God's word. And what? Exemplary leadership. That leadership that did not make us secular. Hey. Everything God wants to pass across to you is leadership grade. Because he knows that your life is connected to thousands of others. He knows that if he can bless Abraham, if he touches on Abraham, all the families of heaven and on earth, they are blessed through Abraham. That is leadership. Where when he touches you, he doesn't have to touch everybody that is connected to you. You will touch them and it won't be a, 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 what's the word now? It won't be a diluted version of that touch. Because you will carry the exactitudes of that instruction to the people under you. There's, there's a very long way to go. Ah, Lord have mercy. The first thing, let, let, let me just expose some of Saul's foolishness, right? So, Saul, one of the first things he did in office was to fight the Philistines, right? So, the Philistines, so he had 3,000 soldiers with him. 2,000 were with him. 1,000 were, were with Jonathan. Now, Philistines had a lot more impressive artillery and soldiers and foot soldiers and all that. So, Saul was afraid. So he was hiding in one place in Geba and all that. It was just... Then Jonathan just took it upon himself. He didn't even go with the 1,000 that was with him. He just went with his armor bearer. <laughs> he went with his armor bearer and said, God can save by many, can save by little. Number doesn't mean anything with God. Let's even try. He didn't collect permission from him. Because if he had collected permission, Saul would have stopped it. Because Saul always wants to have what? Preeminence. So Jonathan went... 
And then when discomfited the Philistines, they had a deal with God that if they call us up to them, that means, you know, um, that's a sign that God wants us to defeat them. And so they called them up as the Philistines because they had assumed that they, because what happened was that Saul told them to hide. I don't understand. To hide indefinitely. Just hide. Because there are many. Let's hide. So, will they stop to be many? That will now come out. Like, what, what are you doing? So Jonathan comes out and he goes, let's even see what will happen. So he goes there by faith with his armor bearer. And if you see the conversation between himself and his armor bearer, you could see the rapport, the, the brotherhood. You know, the way soldiers fight in all these movies. You know, they, they may have escaped. But if their brother is back, they, they go back and then they risk their lives to rescue their brother. That level of camaraderie. And so it was sweet to read. So Jonathan went there. Bible says the armor bearer was behind him. You know the way this... It was like a movie. You need to read the Bible like this. So, you know, when the person is backing you and then you're backing, you know, so you're covering their back, they're covering your back. And that was exactly how they fought. And then they fought the Philistines and they, and Bible says, then God now used their steps of faith and escalated the effect of their fight. They fought and killed only about 20 people. But the entire camp of the Philistines, they were hearing sounds of, you know, confusion in the camp. And they assumed that the, the, you know, the God of Israel had done something. And so they, were start, they started running in several directions. And that was how Saul was hearing the sound. It was like, what's happening in the camp of the Philistines? And then, is this story strange to you people? The way people are looking at me. <laughs> Go read it, amen. So Saul, Saul heard the sound from the camp of the Philistines and was like, count everybody. Who, who is not here? And they realized that it was Jonathan that was not there. Then, of course, they went there to come and now form, you know the way. <laughs> they've caught the TIFO. The people they've caught, then they now arrive. <laughs> what happened? What happened? <laughs> the people have been defeated. As a matter of fact, Saul got there and... The Philistines were killing themselves because of what God had done through the faith of Jonathan. Then after the whole thing was, and guess what? Saul. Saul told his men, don't eat. What do you mean you want to eat? You are going to battle, you want to eat. Does that make sense? Like, when should you eat? When you are going to battle, what did the angel tell Elijah? Eat, because the journey is far. Why would you tell them not to eat? They are going to exert a lot of energy. So don't eat, don't eat until we kill our enemies. Imagine how his men will be behaving like, dude, like, guy. So everybody, was, they did not fight. Remember, it was not them that fought. It was Jonathan and his guy that fought. The people with Saul did not fight, but they were weaker than Jonathan and the guy that fought. So, after the entire thing was, you know, it was obvious that God had wrought great victory, right? Of course, everybody was exhausted, tired. So when they saw the spoils of the Philistines, they fell on them. They started killing because they were so exhausted. So they started killing all the spoils, ram, cattle, you know, chicken. They killed them with the blood. They started eating everything because they were so hungry. And that was an abomination in Israel because it was actually Saul that caused that. Because if they had not known that they may not have survived, they may have died. Maybe the journey between Philistine and wherever they were going to was really far, so they had to eat something. In any case, after the entire thing was sorted, Saul now said, uh-huh. back to what happened the last time. He completely ignored the fact that it was through this man, your son, that victory was wrought. So open his mouth and say, wow, that was so brave of you. I mean, we're so 
tired and I mean, exhausted and afraid, he's having to acknowledge that and put the spotlight on his son. Like, why should a father be jealous of his own son? He couldn't do. Son, he said, hey, so um, let's understand what really happened. Let's cast a lot. If it is me or my son, the person will die. Ah, what are you saying? And then he casted lot and then, you know, the, 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 so himself and his son went on one side and then the, the people of Israel were on the other side. And then the, the lot fell on their side. So between himself and his son, he now casted another lot. That we, Which of us is the cause for the problem we are going through? So what happened is, I, I think I missed a step. They were trying to get a certain prophetic um, instruction after the battle had been won. So what happened was that after the Urim and the Turim was played, and God did not speak at that point. God did not speak at that point. So Saul was angry that God did not speak. So he was trying to understand why God did not speak, that somebody must have erred. So that was what now caused him to now create that sort of casting of lots that was separate between himself and, you know, himself and Jonathan and then the people of Israel, and then between himself and Jonathan as well. So by the time they casted lots, it, it now fell on Jonathan that it was because of him. And then he said, okay, so you will die. And the men of Israel said, we've had enough. What do you mean he will die? This is the man because of whom we are still alive. What are you saying? Think about it. If not for him, we all will be dead. Now the one person that is responsible for us being alive, you want to kill him because of how wise you are. Wow. So guess what? They rescued Jonathan from his own father. They said, you can't kill this one. Your foolishness will not be this foolish. All right, we will rescue this. You will rescue you from this level of foolishness. And they rescued Jonathan. And that was the only way they could arrest the situation. I mean, he couldn't come to his senses. He couldn't realize that it's true. They had to rescue his son from him. His son that he ought to have been proud of. He was not, he was not trying to kill. Look at what he did again. I, I, I wish I have time. Just to tell you how foolish. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. There's something I want to show you. Something I want to show you. First Samuel 13. So that you know where blowing your trumpet came from. When, a man, when you say a man is blowing his own trumpet, this is where it came from. First Samuel 13. So this is, you know, I've already gone past this in narration, but this is, I just wanted to pick out this part. Saul chose him 3,000 men of Israel, whereof 2,000 were with him in mishmash, and really mixed match. Anyways, and in Mount Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin. And the rest of the people, he sent every man to his tent. And Jonathan smote the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba. And the Philistines heard of it. And Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear that. And all Israel heard say that Saul uh, uh, had smitten a garrison of the Philistines, and that Israel also was an abomination. And Israel also was had, huh, was had <laughs> in, a, in abomination, KJV, with the Philistines. And the people were called together after Saul to Gilgal. It wasn't you that smote the garrison. And that's the kind of person Saul was. 
He couldn't survive under the spotlight of another person. He was so selfish, so self-centered. Everything had to be about him. Else, there is no way he's relinquishing power. No way. When you see people grab power in Africa and other parts of the world, this is the problem. They cannot afford to think that they are not the solution. <laughs> like, there is such a narcissistic complex that I'm always the solution. Things are getting worse, but I'm still the solution. I can rescue what I spoiled. You can't be the solution if you are still the problem. Was it Albert Einstein that said that a problem cannot be solved at the level of thinking that created it. So your level of thinking brought us to this point, but you still insist that you are the solution. That was Saul, a man that skipped classes in priesthood, but then was given a crown as a king. Leadership is not a casual, secular subject. Everything about leadership is spiritual. Now let's go to the leader of all leaders. Who's that? Jesus. Now, ah, Jesus is so smooth, amen. Smooth, amen. Such a smooth guy. Matthew chapter 4. This has got to be the most powerful expression of leadership in the entire Bible and even in the world. Like what Jesus said in, in few phrases. I'm, I'm, I'm still digging it up and I'm like, Jesus, how now? Like, this is too good. Jesus looks at his disciples, calls on them, and he says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. That is leadership in a nutshell. Everything about leadership is in that phrase. Everything. Everything about leadership. Everything about leadership. So you understand that leadership is as spiritual as it gets. Jesus looked at his disciples and said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So the first thing we see there is follow me. How many people can you tell to follow you and will not get lost? How many people? And that's a personal question to you. Follow me. What audacity. Follow me. So let's see the progression of things. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1. Quickly, quickly, quickly. We need to move very fast. Hallelujah. Be therefore followers of God, right? As what? Dear children. So the ultimate person you ought to follow is who? Is God. This is Apostle Paul speaking. Go to 1 Corinthians 11. Verse 1. What does he say? Be what? Followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. That's the next level. Follow God. But that will really not cut it in terms of transformation. There has to be a physical human model in front of you before God. So he says, follow me even as I follow Christ. Check 1 Corinthians 11 verse, verse 6. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 16 rather. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 16. Quickly. Look at what it says there. <laughs> Look at what it said. This is so powerful. 1 Corinthians 4... Wherefore I beseech you. What did he say? Where is Christ? Hmm. Follow God. Follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me. Philippians 4, 9. 
This is the hallmark of leadership. That you don't have to add any appendage, any additional commentary. Follow me is the gospel. That is, if you follow me, you're already following God, you're already following Christ, just by following me. Wow. How did Paul get to this level? Look at what audacity. Paul said, the things you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do them. Don't see. I have become the template of the gospel. Can you imagine that level of audacity? Paul looked at his members and he said, the things you have heard, the things you have received, the things that you have collected from me, the things you have seen me do, just do everything, copy and paste, and you would not have not followed God. And you would have followed God exactly. This is the graduation of leadership. Where it is follow God, yes. But God even knows the limitation of that instruction. Because where is God? No man has seen God at any time. But the Son of God, who dwells in the bosom of the Father, who is now flesh, he hath declared him. So God understands that there is a limitation to that instruction if there is no physical evidence of the exactitude of who God is to that context. So if you are telling people to follow God and follow God and you don't become the God they must follow, you are not the kind of leader that should lead them. Paul looked at them and said, follow God. Then next he said, follow me as I follow Christ. After ratifying that indeed I'm following Christ, then follow me. I don't need to add Christ again. You are still following Christ because I am sufficient in that sense. That's the level of leader that God wants to make every single one of us into. And then at some point he said, every single thing that I do, the things that I have received from me, the things that I have learned, the things that I have heard, the things that you have seen in me, do them. And the peace of God will rest with you. That is, God has blessed Paul's lifestyle so much, it had become a template for the church. Paul was so sure that he was the kind of person that if you followed him, you can never end up in hell. Never. So before he could say that, he was powered by priesthood. So before Jesus could say Matthew 4.19, there was John 5.19. Let's check John 5.19. Are you with me this morning? John chapter 5 verse 19. The son can do nothing of himself, but that which he seeth the father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the son likewise. So before Jesus said to the disciples, follow me. He didn't say follow me as I follow God. You know, you understand. Just follow me because I already have followed God to such a letter. That whoever follows me has already followed God in following me. The same way Paul could have said, follow me. And inside that following me, there is a following of God inside it already. Everything you have heard, everything you have received, everything you have learned from me, everything you have seen me do, just do them. And I will not need to add any commentary as to, oh, you must follow God too. You have followed me and that's enough. And Jesus said, follow me. What's the power of that instruction to the people under your constituency? Can you tell people, follow me? Can you? Samuel stood after 90 years of service to the people and he said, which of you all have I defrauded? Not one person stood up. Not one. Not one. 90 years. In two years of souls, he was about to kill his own son just to look good. And he took the shine off the victory that his son had wrought in the land that day. And everything was about the fast that was unto the glory of Saul. Who did the, the fast help? Because Jonathan did not hear that instruction. He took on knee and was fighting. And his countenance was brightened. 
In fact, when Jonathan heard the instruction that Saul gave the men, he said, ah, ah, ah. He says, my father has caused this trouble in Israel. Go and read it. Even Jonathan saw the deficiency in wisdom. Why would a man leave his father's inheritance and join up with a David? Why? You are the next king after Saul. But I don't even trust my head to be correct if I continue to live as a son under this man. I don't trust my head to continue to be correct. I would rather be an assistant and a lieutenant to this man than be the next king of Israel. He had seen that much deficiency in Saul. He was willing to die for a friend than stay alive to become king under his father's leadership. Saul, fear him more. And if you're not a priest before you become a king, you will end up at the coven of the witch at Endor. Because you still need priesthood to be a king. But because it is not in you, you will become a charlatan. You will start running everywhere looking for prophecies. You will start trying to create a caricature of Samuel to come and tell you what you want to hear. When you are not a priest, when you cannot hear God for yourself, when God cannot restrain you anymore, when God cannot speak to you, when you never prayed, now you need everybody to become your prayer merchant just to hear God on a little matter. You will start visiting the witch at Endor. Because as far as priesthood go, you still need priesthood to power your kingship. Only that now you have, <laughs> what's the word? You have, it's the particular word I'm looking for. You have delegated, that's not the word. But you have uh, outsourced it, that's the word. You have outsourced the priesthood to other men to come and be your priest. Pray for me, prophesy over my life. What happened to your mouth? What happened to your own knees? You must be a priest. Under God, he's not just king. He's priest and king. You can't be a king accidentally. Under God's tutelage. He may anoint you as a 17-year-old boy, but that crown will not land on your head until you are 30. You must satisfy the conditions of priesthood. But if you... Between the time that Saul found Saul, I mean Samuel found Saul and he was anointed, maybe a few months, he knew he was going to be king today. He became king tomorrow. David was king. He knew he was going to be king, 17 years old. He became king over a portion of the land 13 years later. Then he became fully the king of Israel. 23. Because he was 40 before he became king over Israel. <laughs> priesthood. And then you want to rush priesthood. Say, I want to become king. Be careful. It may be your corpse that will carry out of that office. If you are not careful enough. How did Saul die? He committed suicide. He fell on his own sword. The kind of decision Saul made. Because he didn't satisfy the protocol of priesthood. This is how God installs kings. This is how he puts royalty on kings. This is how he puts them. They must become priests first. And so Samuel or rather Jesus looked at his disciples and said follow me. And the reason why he could be so audacious and ask them to follow him was because he knew that his obedience was satisfied. It was complete in the following of God. The son can do nothing of himself except that which he sees the father do. And as he sees it, he does it. If God does not do it, he doesn't do it. He is limited by his vision of God. So whatever was not in God, he couldn't do it. He had limited himself so much to the things that only God did. So when Jesus is telling you to follow him, you are already following God in him. And that should be the reality of every single one of us. It's not just for Pastor Dami. Every one of us has a constituency that I don't have a, a access to. I don't have access to some of the people that you have access to. 
And you ought to be the Jesus and the Pauls in those contexts. Where at some point you can say, follow God. And at some point you say, follow me as I follow Christ. At some point you did the entire thing and you say, just follow me. You have already followed God already. And by the time you are getting to the near part of your, and you say, every single thing you have learned, everything you have seen in me, everything you have received, every single thing that you have watched me do right in front of you, do exactly everything and you wouldn't have missed God in any way. Look at the graduation. So Jesus looked at the disciples and said, follow me. And until a leader is able to say that, please, oh, continue your class. Continue your class in priesthood. You can't go on vacation as a priest. Follow me. And in your organization, can you say follow me? Follow my work ethic. If, and you see, this is how you know whether people can follow you or not. Scale your status and your profile across board and see where the company will be. In your imagination, Right? So imagine every single person in your organization behaved, acted, thought exactly like you. Where will that organization be? Exactly where do you believe they will be? To the extent that you can ask them to follow you with confidence and with audacity and boldness. It's to that extent that you are followable. And another thing that you must understand about following God is this. Submission is the prerequisite for leadership. If Christ was not already following God in John 5, 19, there is no reason why he should be saying, follow me. Some of you think the, the ability to command is the first quality of leaders. No! It's the ability to receive commands. If you're not willing and able to receive commands and submit to somebody, I'm not talking about submitting to God. Hey, that's what I'm saying. Everybody submits to God, even demons. So I'm not talking about submitting. To, if you see God, you will fear. You will, sub, you will submit. You will quake. Your body will submit before your mind. Because it is God we are talking about here. I'm talking about a physical man. Jesus encountered Paul on the way to Damascus. Jesus could have told him everything he needed to hear. He said, wait, go to this certain man. He will show you the things you will do. And if you're not willing to submit, you have never submitted to anybody. You only kill people and, and make sure of them. You will learn submission under my authority. You will first be blind first. You will even know your... Let's not, let, let me not go too far into that because that was what we ex excavated <laughs> the last time we had a retreat, the pastors because there's so much juice in there praise God follow me, so if you can tell someone to follow you, I hope you're already following a man, and I'm not, talk, I'm not talking about Jesus, uh, because nobody can come to God and confirm from Jesus that you, follow, you are following him, is this boy following you, we, we won't hear the feedback but we can go and ask a man how long has this man been following you how long? Are you following anybody? Or you are your own template? Before Paul could say follow me, he had been following God. Before Jesus could say follow me, he had been following God. Who are you following? Yet you have a crown of kingship on your head. Won't you lead everybody to hell like this? Won't you lead everybody in, into a ditch? The blind leading the blind. So before Jesus could say follow me, he had submitted to the will of the Father. And that's the prerequisite for leadership. You must be following a man. You must be submitted under an authority. You must be someone that cannot be the final authority over your own life. You must be someone that still goes for ratification every once in a while. Ratification. Is this okay? Sir, is this fine? Ma, is this okay? You must be willing to say yes, sir. Before you can receive the same. 
follow me. Follow me. Follow me. These things I have heard me teach among many brethren. Commit to other men who will be able to teach, teach others. Hi. We need to run fast. We need to run fast. The next thing we see, praise God, is that Jesus says, I will make you. Hi. I like the sound of that. That's inspirational. Why would a man who you have never met before, I, I, I caught a scene of the chosen, I have not seen the movie because of time, but I caught a scene of the chosen, how Peter was narrating to his wife, how he met Jesus, and the joy and excitement in his face when he was telling his wife that he has now found his new career, which is following Jesus. And it, it was the response of his wife that even caught my attention because you would expect the wife to say, how will we eat? How shall we survive? The wife said, I've never seen you this excited. I've never seen you this alive. Go ahead and do it. Follow Jesus. Wow. That's the spirit. Peter knew that there was an horizon in front of him that he had never explored. That he was so excited about. He knew he didn't, he couldn't really define it, but he knew that it was good. It was amazing. Because this man that I saw his face today, this is Jesus Christ. While I follow him, I'm being made. Jesus looked at them and said, follow me. He had not met them before. It, hi, the audacity. Because guess what? He had prayed all night before he came down. <laughs> so he didn't just come and start touching people. You go and try it now. <laughs> he said, follow me. Hey, you just go 10 meters. What happened? <laughs> Nobody is following you. And that was how Jesus did it. He would just touch them. Follow me. And they will follow him. The boldness, the audacity. Follow me. And what did he tell them? I will make you fishers of men. So visionless leadership is no leadership. He didn't just say follow me for no reason. He gave them a mandate. Something to become. I will make you into something. I am that bold of my capacity to transform your life. And that is what leadership is about. I, leadership is the ability to influence people into new levels of experiences. By the engineering of transformation. Did you hear what I said? It is your ability to influence people into new levels of experiences. Engineered by transformation, growth, development. That's leadership. It's not by force. It's by transformation. That if you hang around Jesus for a while, he will make you. See the beauty of his communication. I will make you. The inspiration. You cannot speak to save your life, but you want people to follow you. How? You need to develop your communication skills. Look at what Jesus said. See how compelling it was. I will make you. I will make you. If people follow you, what will they be made into? Will they even be made or they will degenerate into something? Will they be made, furnished, refined, developed, groomed into a stature? Or they will just collapse into their, their normal state of the flesh? Follow me. The audacity of leadership. Follow me, the vision of leadership, and I will make you. You have been asking people to follow you since, but you don't give them a vision to follow exactly. What is the hope of our following you? What is the hope of this, of this calling? This calling, you're asking me to follow you. What will I become at the end of the day? After following you for 50 years, what will my life become? When a woman finds that in a man, she will follow you, sir. She will. She will. Because she sees the future. She sees everything. Because you speak it so well. And it's not just about speaking it so well. There's evidences also. You, there's a track record. That most of the things you said in the past you have become. Not just you can speak. Oh, Amen. But speaking is important. Jesus communicated it so well. He anchored their faith and their hope on something so pristine. 
He said, follow me and I will make you. That's leadership. Follow me and I will make you. There's an objective to leadership. Leadership cannot be visionless. Jesus compelled the following of his disciples by the strength of his vision. The audacity of his claim. He risked being seen as a failure if that objective was not achieved. Many of them were already failing fishermen. Now Jesus upped the ante and said to them, I will make you. And it's, it's the beauty of what he actually said he will make them into. And it's the beauty of the communication of Jesus. Because he does not just tell them something they cannot relate with. They understand how to make fish. He said, I will make you fishers of men. Wow. It's how connected to their context the vision was. Hey. So he didn't say, I will make you carpenters of men. No, you're already fishing. So he brought the vision to a level and then increased the objective. From there on. So vision is not just, I would I I will create an abstract idea that cannot connect with your now context. I must be able to connect with your now context and then raise it to the next level. So he didn't just say, I will make you uh, architects of men. They won't be able to relate to that. What, what do architects do? But they were already fishers. So he understood, they understood fishing. So he took from their context and he applied a supernatural ideology on top of that context. And he gave them a vision that they could not deny. Because they understood what it meant to fish. You know that famous catching of the fish that the net did not break? Only 153 fish were caught in that, in that outbreak. Only 153. The first catch that Peter caught, how many people? 3,000. They understood the vision. That when it comes to fishing men, I can't be fishing one. I don't fish two. I don't fish three. When it comes to fishing, it's multitudes. They understood the vision. And until they started catching 3,000, 5,000, they didn't stop. Do you understand? They don't just catch one, two, three. That would be whatever of men. Uh, but if it's fishing, you know, you catch them in bulk. And that was the vision God gave them. Jesus looked at them and said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. It is the boldness of this assertion. And how inspirational it sounds. Leadership is the process of transforming mere men to mighty men. Leadership is what gives us the capacity to make others into certain stature. That was exactly what David did. He made men of low degree into the mightiest men in the land. Saul, on the other hand, was attempting to make himself something he clearly wasn't. He had no interest in making other men. He alone wanted to have preeminence. The foolishness of self-exaltation is that there will be nobody left to lift you after you are gone. Because all you were preoccupied with while you were in office was to lift yourself. Hmm. Only a man who understands priesthood can truly make another man into a certain stature. First Peter 2.9, you are a chosen generation, a royal, royal, royal priesthood. That is, God puts the royalty on the established priesthood. If your royalty precedes your priesthood, you will end up with the witch at Endor. Now, number three, the three tenets of that verse of scripture, Matthew 4, verse 19. Follow me and I will make you into what? Fishers of men. That is everything Jesus already had become. It was what exactly he said was going to get them to become. That is, Jesus was not insecure about people becoming exactly like him. Because exactly what he was doing was, was fishing them. And then he was telling them that eventually you would also start fishing others. There are leaders today who cannot even try it. To allow anybody else to step into that office, even if it's for a day. You know, back then in secondary school, we used to be, was it governor? We see that, you know, you see a governor for a day from a secondary school, you know, they'll get a boy to become governor for a day and all that. 
Some people cannot even attempt it for two minutes. Become anything in their stature for two because they can't act. They can't afford to see anybody in the light of that leadership except themselves. Jesus looked at his disciples and said, the, the things that I did, they are small. Greater works shall you do because I go to my father. He was excited about their exaltation. He was excited about their growth and their advancement. He wanted them to really become exactly like him. He had no problem having other Jesuses on earth. He had no problem. If you're the kind of person, you're always hiding everything, hoarding everything, password, login, everything, access, everything. It's only with you. God forbid something happens to you. That business dies with you. Because you're afraid. You don't trust people. You can't replicate people around you. And this is how God scales things. If God does not find a leader, he does not do that thing. He doesn't do it. He will find a leader first. Because he knows that whatever he starts with that leader will not die with that leader. But every other person, that, whatever he starts with them will die with them. So there's no point. He will keep repeating himself across generations. So he wants to do one thing with one man that he will never have to do again. So he finds a leader that will transfer that across dispensations. That's what leadership is about. Jesus was, in essence, telling his disciples that whatever he was doing to them right now, they would eventually become the exact same thing, doing it to others in the future. Not anything less of what he is. He wasn't afraid of replicating himself. He didn't turn himself into a... He didn't turn them into better fishermen. That's just a refinement. I'm talking about transformation. What David did to those 400 men, that's what I'm talking about. Transformation. He didn't turn them into better fishermen. He doesn't need time to do that one. In one day, he got them to catch what they had never caught all their life. In one night, they became better fishermen. But to become a, a fisher of men, you need to subject yourself to the tenets of priesthood. Leadership is about transformation, where you will not be able to recognize who you used to be. Hi. Leadership is never afraid of being replaced. In fact, it pursues replication. Hi. Some leaders are still afraid of being re replaced when they ought to actively pursue that ideal. A leader that is afraid of being replaced is already a foolish leader because he assumes he is eternal. When someone is afraid and is not willing to let go of an office, it's a lot of delusions packed in one. Do you understand? Because number one, we can tell you don't love the people. If whatever you are doing is useful, that means it's helping some people. That means you don't love that people because guess what? You are not eternal. You will not last forever. So if we don't replace you, that means the moment you die, whatever it is that the good that your office is doing and serving dies with you. That means you literally had no love for the people in the first place. So the moment you find someone who is unwilling to leave an office for another person to take, take his bishopric, that's a man you know never loved the people that he was serving in the first place. That's how you know. Because it was all about you, sir. We now know it was all about you. They were begging Mandela for to become... Be, the everlasting president in South Africa. He said, no, no, that's not how this works. And now he has a legacy that nobody can erase. The spirit of leadership. Amen. Wow. Hi. We can't go further than this. But I will just like to mention, because I think PD is a worthy mention in this context. Because PD is quite that leader. Mm. I, um, I mean, I've, not, I've, not, I've just not seen it. I've just not seen it. When a man is so secure in his calling. That he does, in fact, when you come to him with a little gift, he will fan it. Then give you a platform and say, shine. Never afraid. He doesn't throw javelins. You know some people that throw javelins. 
If you escape the first one, they will go and, they will go and oil the second javelin. And they will target your head. You meet them like this, your gift dies. Because if he finds goodly men, he will put them in his service. He will never provide a platform for them to thrive and become men of their own stature. Because if those men become men of their own stature, your own stature continues to rise. It's so myopic when you think that you are self-sustainable. Train men, replicate yourself across board. That's the only way your legacy will last. And that's sincerely one thing we found in this house under the leadership of PD. And let's just celebrate the gift of God with, in PD once again. That's leadership. That's leadership. Sometimes I, I look at PD and I'm like, the genuineness of his heart. It was with P, Pastor Peace yesterday. Shout out to Pastor Peace. <laughs> yesterday was his birthday. And boy, and I just looked at him and I'm like, this man. Genuine desire to see young ministers thrive. Genuine. Genuine. What man will start ministry, work so hard and leave it? Hmm. Think about it. Leadership is deep. So you see that by the time you put some of the secular leaders that you have called leaders all this while against the backdrop of this framework, how many of them can survive the scrutiny? How many? How many? So really, only spiritual people can lead secularly. Only. If you put a man that is not spiritual in a secular office, he would destroy that office. And we have seen it with nations, with continents. An oil boom that, that destroyed prosperity that ought to have elevated our status, destroyed it. Because it, it landed in the hands of consumers, eroders, locusts. You know that locust that the Bible was talking about? Kankawam, Pamawam. Those are human beings. Oh. People that once resources enter into their hand until it finishes. There's nothing transgenerational about them. They will borrow till they die. So the next time you think that it is politicians that should be doing politics, you have joined the bandwagon. Only priests can be kings. Did you hear what I said? Only priests can be kings. There's so much to say, but I'll stop there for today. I'll stop there for today. Can, can we just bow our heads? Can we bow our heads and ask God, the Lord, don't spare me. Don't spare me in priesthood. Don't spare me in priesthood. Don't spare me. I don't want to be spared. Come on, I don't want to be spared. Whatever I need to go through, whatever furnace I need to go through, whatever prison I need to go through, whatever I need to go through, please take me through it. Please take me through it. Take me through this thing. Just so that I can be a ready vessel for your use. Thoroughly furnished, prepared unto every good work. Prepared. I don't want to be a sore. I don't want to disappoint you. The length of years of rain does not amount to the quality of rain. 40 years does not mean 40 good years. Saw root for 40 years, but boy. He was just running from pillar to post, trying to kill a boy. That was never a competition because of his insecurity. Only to eventually commit suicide at the end of his days. Lord, I don't want to be a foolish king. Help my life. Help my life. Because guess what? Leadership positions are coming. God is coming to fetch people from the church. To assume positions of authority outside the church. But we must first be priests. That is why it's coming for us. That is why it's coming for us. 
Ask him to help you. Ask him not to spare you. Ask him to fulfill the entire demands of priesthood upon your life. So that you not disappoint his kingdom when the time of demand comes. Father, we give you praise and we give you glory. We give you honor. For in Jesus' precious name, we have prayed. Hallelujah. I implore you, go read up on the story of Saul, Jonathan, David. Because we'll be, we'll be referencing them a lot as we go on in this stream of thoughts under the WOW series. All right. Um, next week, I'll be sharing some things about how David was able to transform those 400 indebted, discontented, you know, touts into mighty men. You don't have to give up on anybody. Everybody and anybody can be transformed. You know, so God ensured he, he profiled the worst people in the society and he placed them under David. And they became his lieutenants and his, and his governors and his mighty men. He put them through a system. And I'll be sharing that with us next week by God's grace as the Lord will give us the grace. Amen and amen. Can we jam us together for Jesus? Wow, what a word. For more messages, connect with our tribesmen across all social media platforms at PowerPoint Tribe.